We've been in a sermon series on the commands of Jesus because we believe we ought to know what God's commands or the commands of God, what they are, because Jesus says, he who has my commands and does them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. So we need to know what those commands are. Not only do we need to know them, but we need to act on them. We need to actually do what he tells us to do. So there's a command in Luke 12, verses 13 through 21, which includes a parable. You know I love parables. Um, Jesus was the master storyteller, the master teacher. And so in parables, he kind of developed and evolved and used them to teach difficult subjects. And this is one of them. Luke 12, verse 13 says, One of the multitude said to him, Teacher, bid my brother divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man who made me a judge or divider over you. And he said to them, here's the command, take heed and beware of all covetousness for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Take heed and beware of all covetousness for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build up larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let's bow, bow together. Father, as we come to think about a subject that hits us close to home, how do we relate to possessions? And when I use the word possessions, I use it loosely because I remember that our possessions are actually your possessions. And we are only stewards entrusted with them for a season to see what kind of managers we'll be, how faithful we'll be toward the owner. Help us treat our possessions wisely because in reality they're your possessions. And help us not be owned by them or controlled by them, but use them for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Jesus says, take heed and beware of all covetousness. Here's the command for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I looked up the word for covetousness or to covet. And the definition is desiring something that belongs to someone else. And it can be anything desiring something that belongs to someone else. And the, and the danger is, is that you'll never have everything that everybody else owns. So the danger is you'll always be, if you're, if you're covetous of something, you'll always be wanting something unless you have everything that everybody else has. There'll always be something that someone has that you don't have. And so you're always susceptible to the danger of coveting it. And this, this is a difficult subject. You know, I wish it could say that it just address non-Christians or, or people who didn't love God or come to church. But the honest truth is that it addresses all of us because all of us struggle in how we relate to our possessions. It is as relevant for us today in the church as it is for anybody 
anywhere, anytime. It's, it's a struggle that we always have, that we always face. How much is enough? This farmer wanted to have just a little bit more. And he said, if I can tear down these barns and build bigger ones and fill them up, then I can take my ease. I'll say to myself, what does he say? Eat, drink, and be merry, take my ease. But I, I'm guessing as soon as that happened, that another crop was coming in and he'd be wanting to tear down those barns and build up even more. So he's never going to take his ease. He's always going to be wanting more. The, the definition of greed is the more you have, the more you need. And so you never have all you want. You never have enough. And so here's the setting. A younger brother comes up to Jesus, whom everybody perceives as a teacher, and says, Lord, make my brother divide the inheritance with me. So we assume it's an older brother. And you know, in, in uh, the ancient Near East, the older brother got a double share of an inheritance. If there were two boys, he got two thirds and the younger brother gets one third. And I guess the older brother is kind of the executor and he decides when that distribution is made. And so the younger brother says, I want it now. Kind of like the prodigal son, give it to me now. Make him divide it with me now, teacher, Jesus. And that's where Jesus uses this setting to tell a parable about a fool. It's kind of like what would happen if I asked Jesus a question. He'd tell a story about a fool. Because that's just, when you ask Jesus a question, either he's going to turn it around on you or, or show you the, the fallacy of the way you're thinking whatsoever. And so Jesus tells a story about a farmer who's very, very successful. He has done very well and his, he's had a bumper crop and the harvest is, is coming in. And he's so happy, he's so proud. He has worked his crop, he has tended it, he has harvested at just the right time. All the weather, all the elements have cooperated. He has devoted his life to this crop and somewhere along the way, this crop and these possessions became the foundation of his entire life. You remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 21. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart's going to follow your treasure, which incidentally is why an offering in worship is so important because the more you contribute, not because God needs it, the more your heart will follow. Where your treasure is, there your heart will follow. There your heart will be also. And so he has a bumper crop. The crop has become his idol, effectively his God. And he says, eat, drink, and be merry. Take your ease. I, I like what uh, Clarence Jordan put in the cotton patch version of this translation. He said, rise, shine, dine fine, and recline. Because Things are on easy street now. I can take my rest. I can enjoy it. I can revel in my accomplishments and, uh, and celebrate and take it easy. But that very night, everything changes. Everything. And God calls him a fool. And every time I, I read the word fool in the Bible, I remember, first of all, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, don't you call anybody a fool. But when I think of the word fool, I think of uh, Psalm 14, 1, where the definition of a fool is 
The fool says in his heart, what? There is no God. So the definition of a fool in the scripture is someone who acts as if there's no God, who, who, who lives his life as if this is all there is and there is no God. And so Jesus takes this opportunity to teach the listeners. And I, I think it's directly pri directed primarily to this younger brother. And of course, to everybody listening in what life is about. And I have three P's. It's not about possessions. It's not about the personal. And it's not about the present. It's not about possessions, the personal or the present. I'm really working at my alliterations. Can you tell it's I'm getting better at that. It's not about possessions. He says that in verse 15. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It's not how much you get that matters. It's not. The really important things in life are the things that money cannot buy. The things that money cannot buy. And, and Jesus doesn't go on to say that possessions are inherently evil. They, they are not evil because God can use them. He can bless them and use them for good, for the, the work of the kingdom, the work of the church. Possessions are not bad. It's what they can do to you if you let them get out of control. It's not money that's the root of all evil. It's what? The love of money that becomes the root of all evil. 1 Timothy 6.10, the love of money is the root of all evil. And it seems like, and I've just learned this over time, it seems like the more money you have, the, more, the greater the tendency is to love it and to put your trust in it and to build your life around it and accumulating even more. It's so easy to fall under the tyranny of things and of possessions. And it's okay, and I'm going to say this several times because I really like it. It's okay to have the things that money can buy as long as you don't lose the things that money cannot buy. It's okay to have some things that money can buy as long as you don't lose the things that money cannot buy. And so he's accumulated everything. He is enjoying what he's accumulated. And God comes up to him and says in verse 20, You fool, this night your soul is required of you. Your soul is required of you. And what I love about this is, is the Greek actually doesn't say your soul is required of you. What it says, it's not a passive verb. It says this night they require, literally in the Greek, this night they require your soul of you. So who or what is they? What's the subject of requiring your soul of you? You don't know what I think? I think it's your possessions. I think Jesus is saying this night, your possessions have required your soul of you. That's what it literally says in the Greek. They require your soul of you. Because they, instead of you owning them, somehow the tables have been turned and now they own you. Your possessions own you and they require your soul of you. Man, that's a sad state to be in. Have you known anybody like that? Oh, man, when, when the stock market fell in 2008, there were so many people so depressed, probably some taking their own lives because um, what they had invested in the stock market. I was reading in the newspaper this morning the special coming on about Bernie Madoff. 
this coming week. And a lot of people lost their life savings, their inheritance, everything in his Ponzi scheme. And a lot of people took their lives over that. That's a sad, sad thing to do because their possessions had taken ownership over them. And everything they lived for, everything they valued was wrapped up in their possessions. And when their possessions were gone, they concluded their life to be over. That's so sad. He's not opposed, Jesus is not opposed to the things that money can buy, but he is opposed to the delusion that money is the most important thing. Money is not the most important thing. And so Jesus, I think, is, would be saying here, be sure that you have the things that money cannot buy. What are some of those things that money cannot buy? First of all, your salvation. Let me read 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. You know that you were bought from the feudal ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The most important thing you have was not bought with silver or gold. It was bought with the blood of Jesus. It's something that money cannot buy. That's how precious and how important a life itself salvation is. You ask people what they're searching for in life, and, and nine people out of ten will say, I'm searching for happiness. Psalm 16, 8 and 9 says this. I keep the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also dwells secure. What makes a psalmist rejoice? His heart is glad and his soul rejoices. What causes that? It's the relationship he has with God. Money cannot buy that. That's the kind of happiness that money cannot buy. And if you're trying to pursue Happiness by accumulating things. Friends, you are on a dead-end street. It is a black hole that will suck you dry because that, that is a destination you will never arrive at. You can never get happiness by accumulating more things. You want to know why? I've tried it. I get something, you know, you know what? I want something else. I want one more thing. One more, somebody has something I like, I want that. And it just goes on. It's a snowball. The more you have, the more you want, the more you think you need. And Jesus says, happiness is not about things. It's about a relationship with God. That causes your heart to rejoice, your soul to celebrate. What else do people want? They want peace. And I'm not talking about world peace. <laughs> I'm talking about the kind of peace that we can have in our hearts. Listen to this from Romans 5.1. Since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace doesn't come from our possessions. It comes from a right relationship with God, just like happiness. Happiness comes from being in a relationship with God. Peace comes from being in a relationship with God. Salvation comes from the blood of Jesus Christ. None of this money can buy. Possessions mean absolutely nothing when it comes to the things in life that really matter. 
Money is important to get by on, but it's not the most important. I'm, Bill and I have talked before, when you do a mission trip to a third world country, you can see how little people really need to get by. You can see how little people need to survive. Everything else that we have accumulated is just icing on the cake. It's not necessary. And yet we have convinced ourselves that it is. Jesus says a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I've never seen an epitaph that said he had amassed a fortune when he died. I've never seen an epitaph that said he spent his life in the accumulation of things. That's not how we want to be remembered and yet that's how a lot of us are spending our lives. And that's a shame because life is not about possessions. Secondly, life is not about the personal. I hate to tell you, but it's not about you. <laughs> and life is not about me. It's not about us. What does the farmer do when he realizes he has a bumper crop and doesn't have enough room to store it? What does he do? He tears down the barns he has, which is wasteful, and then he erects built bigger barns to, to store more food. He said, I've got no place to store my food. Well, here's a novel idea. How about in the stomachs of the hungry people around you? That'd be a good place to store some extra food, more than you could ever need, more than you could ever use. That's an idea. What does he do? He builds bigger barns for himself. And what really struck me, count the number of first-person personal pronouns in verses 17 through 19. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. That's 10 right there. Um, where am I? And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. At, at least 15 times in, in uh, three verses, he says, I, me, or my. Why? Because it's all about him. His world is all wrapped up in himself. He's in the middle of it. And that's the danger of greed. Our worlds shrink. Our focus becomes on ourselves. And we lose sight of the people around us who have need. And the thought of sharing out of our abundance doesn't even occur to our small, selfish, greedy little minds. It just reminded me of the Grinch. You remember what was wrong with the Grinch? His heart was what? Three sizes too small. And that's like a lot of people I know. Because the more we turn inward, the smaller our hearts become. And the thought of sharing out of our abundance doesn't even occur. Uh, there's a prayer that I heard a long time ago this man prayed. Lord, bless me and my wife, son John and his wife, we four and no more. Amen. So where else could this successful farmer have stored his crops? In the stomachs of hungry neighbors? 
take care of your family and your future, yes, without crossing that line into selfishness and greed. When you cross the line into greed, your lives become smaller and your heart shrinks and the thought of sharing diminishes. It's not about possessions. It's not about the personal. It's not about you. And the third and final point, it's not about the present. It's not about the present. And what I mean by that is, let's say you live 80 years or maybe 90 years or who knows, maybe, maybe health care will be such that we live over 100 years. That's a long time, isn't it? Well, how does that compare to eternity? What does 100 years look like compared to eternity? Those of you who know anything good in math. I mean, 100 years is, is, is a pinpoint compared to a line that goes from here to the next solar system, to the next universe, and it keeps going. That's how long eternity is. I can't even conceive how long eternity is. And 100 years compared to infinity or eternity is, is nothing. It's nothing. And yet God has left us here for these few years to try to get us to catch on to the fact that life is not about what is happening here. It's not about the present. This, this farmer was a fool because he didn't prepare for eternity. I love what Rick Warren says over and over again, purpose-driven life, <clears throat> God is more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. And we spend all the time in this world, <clears throat> excuse me, worried about our comfort and don't worry about and don't even give a thought about what's going to happen in eternity. That's why we're here on earth to prepare ourselves for eternity. How do we prepare for eternity? By focusing on God and the things of God by being more concerned about salvation and peace and happiness that God gives than the world gives. The purpose of our lives here on earth is to prepare for eternal life. And the life that, that God gives us in Jesus Christ begins, it doesn't begin when you die, it begins the moment you give your lives to Him. The abundant life begins right now. Eternal life begins when you die. And it's, you're going to have eternal life either one way or another. Either it's going to be in heaven or it's going to be in hell. All of us are going to have eternal life. But your relationship with God just determines what kind of eternal life you're going to have, where you're going to spend eternal life. William Williman is a Methodist minister. And he's written a lot, a lot of books. Um, I, last I heard, he was chaplain at Duke University, the dean of the chapel at Duke University. And I remember one thing, he told a story about when he was in seminary, um, he and his wife had a small church. I had a small church in seminary. We'd go out and, and Williman had a, uh, a, a church member, I think a family member of a church member who died. And, and because this was a student pastor and everything, it was on a weekend, Williman and his wife attended this funeral of a church member, the family member of a church member who died. And apparently this, fa this family member was not a Christian. Church member was, the family member was not. And they went to the funeral, and it was one of these little white sideboard, not air-conditioned um, 
churches, kind of backwoods style. And he said the preacher stood up and he started preaching the funeral. A little small rural church. And the minister was preaching the funeral and he said, I mean, he started ranting and raving. And he said, it's too late for Joe. He might have wanted to straighten his life out, but he can't do it now because he's dead. It's all over for him, but it ain't too late for you. People drop dead every day, so why are you waiting? Now is the day of decision. Now is the time to make your life count for something. Don't be like Joe. Don't wait until it's too late. You can do something about it now. And that was the whole tone of the funeral message. And when Willeman and his wife got in their car and were driving back home after the funeral, he turned to his wife and said something like, because he was a teacher. He said, that's got to be the worst excuse for a funeral sermon I've ever heard. Can you imagine a preacher doing that kind of cheap, manipulative thing to a grieving family? What kind of comfort was that for that family? So inappropriate for a funeral. I, if, that, if that preacher had been in one of my classes, I would have given him an F. And his wife said, you know, you're absolutely right. But the thing is that everything that preacher said is absolutely and positively true. Remember the setting. Life is more about giving than getting. I wonder if the younger brother who came and asked Jesus to make his older brother divide the inheritance with him. I wonder if the younger brother catches on. A lot of the parables, we don't know what happens afterwards. But I, man, I hope he went away from there learning that whether his older brother divides the inheritance with him right then or later or never, that life is a lot more important than that. It's good to save here on earth, but it's even better to save in heaven. Because life is not about things, possessions. Life is not about you, the personal. Life is not about the present today. Life is much more important than all those paltry things. It's much bigger. So beware of covetousness. Jesus commands us, and then he tells us this parable about this farmer who's a fool because he cared about his possessions and he focused on himself and he was only concerned about today. It's a dangerous black hole that's so easily that we can slide into. And Jesus is saying, prepare for eternity now. And you do that. By realizing your possessions don't belong to you. They belong to God. You're just stewarding them for a few years. By realizing that life is not all about you, wrapped up in yourself. There are others around you. That he has entrusted things to you to be a manager over, to share. And realize that life is not just about today, but it's about preparing, using these years wisely to prepare for eternity, for life to come. Start preparing for that 
right now. You want salvation and happiness and peace. It all comes from a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, not from anything money can buy. Let's bow together. Father, as we come to this time of decision and invitation, you have given us just a few short years here on earth to get it right. And some of us have squandered that time and and some of us are continuing to do so. And there are folks perhaps watching by television right now who have never made a decision for you. Maybe some even here in this sanctuary right now. But you've given us this day, this moment, to decide to live our lives for the things that really matter, the things that money cannot buy. And so help us be wise stewards of our possessions and our time here on earth to use them well for you and your kingdom and your glory, and now and forevermore. Amen.